are listening to Pharmacy IT and Me, your informatics pharmacist podcast. Hey everyone, this is Tony Dow, and welcome to another episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. And as with every episode, we start this one saying that the intent audience is pretty much everybody. So uh, we'll be speaking of our special guest, uh, very special guest today, Dr. Allie Woods, on what her role is in the pharmacy, technology, and informatics world. So thank you so much for taking some time to be on the podcast, Allie. How are you doing today? Yes, of course. Um, I'm doing all right. Um, thanks for asking. <laughs> Surviving during the time of a pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're all trying to survive. So, yes. trying to yeah, keep your so, sanity. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, before we begin talking about some of the more detailed topics, uh, can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself? Oh yes. <laughs> what about me? Um, I feel like it's a loaded question. Um, so, and I, it's kind of a weird. I was like, I'm just a girl doing IT in the pharmacy realm on a daily basis. Um, don't really think there's anything special about me. Um, but, uh, so I started out um, over 10 years ago, um, doing this, I was always kind of a closeted IT geek and then, uh, kind of got found informatics and wasn't so secret anymore and, um, went down that pathway. Um, it's been an interesting pathway, kind of climbed the ladder and then decided that wasn't what I wanted for my life and kind of quit my job without a plan. Uh, which we can get into, <laughs> and then have now ended up uh, consulting and living in Europe with my family here. Um, my fiance and my dog are here, and uh, uh, we're living here and just doing the same job every day and trying to do a good job and trying to keep learning. So I guess that's kind of me in a nutshell. Oh, and if you can, if you can probably tell, I have an accent because I am from the South, so I'm a Southern girl. I have worked to try to lessen it and enunciate better so that people can understand me. But if you can't, uh, just let me know, and I'll try to pronounce things a little better. But the accent does the, the, it does seem to come out sometimes. So. Yeah, no, I, I could understand you just fine. And um, okay, you know, also, like uh, you, you were talking about, like uh, being in the pharmacy technology space, and I, I guess I was uh, curious about uh, what was some of your early motivating factors into getting to that space. Was it like some kind of like moment that um, had you um, had an interest, or you know, something like that? I started like playing around with computers when, well, I was always doing it back with the days when we were still on Apple computers and doing Oregon Trail. And then I remember when the internet started, I'm dating myself a little bit. I am 37, so I'm not that old. But I do remember when the internet came out and I was just playing um, and building websites for fun before we realized how big the internet was going to get and that maybe you shouldn't be putting some of that information out there. Uh, I was doing that. <laughs> You live, you learn. So I was just kind of messing around building websites because I thought it was fun. I never thought I would use it. And then I got into college um, and had been doing that for a while. And uh, you had to take calculus as one of your prerequisites for pharmacy school. And I didn't even know when I went into college I was going to go to pharmacy school. That's kind of a different story. But basically, uh, for my degree in chemistry, it was either take the second level of calculus two. Uh, or go ahead and take like senior level computer programming. And since I was not a huge fan of calculus, um, I mean, I could do it. It just wasn't my favorite. I decided I would take the computer programming and get what I would consider an easy A for me because I had been doing that stuff. And then I got into pharmacy school and kind of by happenstance and didn't really even plan to ever use that. 
But I had been doing research. I guess I can backtrack a little bit so it makes a little bit sense and connect the dots. So when I was an undergraduate, I was getting a degree in chemistry because I just liked chemistry. And I started working in a lab at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And it was a pharmaceutical sciences lab that was full of pharmacists doing um, research on cell cultures, on mice and different things. And I interned with them for two and a half years and thought, okay, well, this is a good use for my chemistry degree. I'll go to pharmacy school. So uh, I focused in on that. And like I said, started doing the prereqs. And uh, then I took the computer programming just so I didn't have to. It wasn't a prereq for pharmacy school and I didn't really want to take calculus too, but never thought I would use any of that. And then when I got to pharmacy school, I continued researching. I got a job in the research triangle. I went to UNC Chapel Hill for my pharmacy school. And so I got a job down at um, the NIH um, in the research triangle, the National Institutes of Health that's down there, and did that for about a year and was just not loving the research anymore. Um, and I wasn't around pharmacists when I was doing the research at NIH, and that may have been the difference. Um, it wasn't focused on drugs at all. And so I looked for a new job and I found a job at UNC Hospitals. I think it's called UNC Health now. They, everybody's changing their names and became a medication safety intern. Um, they basically wanted somebody who had knowledge, had had a couple years of pharmacy school. So this was in my second year of pharmacy school um, to help them. They were going from a paper system to an electronic system. And they had all these backlogs of medication errors and they needed somebody to enter them. But they wanted somebody who had some knowledge of not only the drugs, but the severity of the reports and could flag the reports if they were entering these backlogs um, to the ones that needed to be followed up with. So I started doing that and got very, very good at it, learning that system very quickly. And then they also started noticing I had some other skills when I started flagging stuff. And a lot of times the errors were breakdowns in the computer system that they had. They had a homegrown system at that point. They hadn't even moved to Epic yet, which they would do later. Um, but so they started noticing that I was really good at dissecting, not only flagging them, but dissecting those and knowing where the breakdown was and what the solution was. And so the medication safety pharmacist put me with the informatics pharmacist. There were two guys there, um, self-taught at the time, and it just kind of all worked out. So we would work on all these medication error events together. So I was like in the midst of it. And I saw what they were doing and thought, hey, I can use these computer skills that I have, and they're actually very valuable. So I started researching, and I found that at the time, it was still when there was a discussion. This is, again, I'm dating myself. There's still a discussion about whether informatics residency should be a PGY-1 or a PGY-2. It was still very, very early. And at the time, there was only like six programs in the U.S., and I think only four of them were accredited at that point of the six. Two were trying to get the accreditation. And I was like, well, that's what I want to do. And by the time I graduated pharmacy school two years later, they had said it was a PGY-2, um, so you had to do a first year of clinical PGY-1. And so the kind of rest was history. Is like that was the track I was taking. I applied and that was my whole focus applying for PGY-1s was that I was going to do a PGY-2 in informatics and I was going to go into this field and I was going to do healthcare IT. So that's kind of how I got in that that trajectory. <laughs> so long, long answer. I don't mean to ramble, but that's kind of how I got there was just kind of having no secret skills and playing over all these years and then finding kind of through happenstance a way to use them. Yeah, no, that that's really cool because you, you did mention about med safety, which is um, it's something mm -hmm. that you know I, I think 
we we kind of think it's obvious, but I've heard from some <laughs> yeah, people. Do. Yeah, you know, I've heard from some people that they're like, oh, informatics and med safety didn't know that they go together, but it really does, oh, yes. right? They really do. Um, and even later on in my career, I, so even like after I moved in to like, like years later in my career, one of my colleagues was on the, the Willow team with me, uh, the Willow Beacon team. And she wound up switching over to med safety and becoming a med safety director um, because we were working with him all the time. And then the med safety officer retired and it was just logical for someone on our team to kind of move into that position. Um, and she continues to do that role. She's actually moved now back more into um, doing informatics stuff. I don't know if you know, Renee Runnenbaum is who I'm talking about. Um, one of my dear, dear friends. <laughs> I love her. And so she she did that too. But I mean, it was just kind of, we all knew, everybody knew. You, you get into informatics, it's just kind of like you say, it's like, yeah, of course, they go hand in hand. We work with the med safety officer or the directors or whatever that person is all the time, whether they be in the pharmacy or completely separate from it, we are constantly working with them. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's the same with me too. Like um, I, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of the things that we do, right. The kind of uh, the troubleshooting aspect or the optimization part is because of these requests, at least for me, it's because of a lot of these requests that come from med safety committee. Yep. Well, I mean, that's what it all comes down to is like, even when we're, when we're building and trying to implement something new, we're, you know, informatics people are always thinking about the, the safety aspects, not just the efficiency and the optimization, but what's going to make this as safe as possible, which actually makes more sense to having pharmacists in this realm. Um, and I've always said that too, about like the Epic people, the TSs that come out, that if they haven't spent any time in the pharmacy to even know how their workflows are or how, how these drugs work, they're going to be completely lost. So like, and that's why we do the training that we do. And it's really valuable to have a pharmacist in this arena because IT is black and white and it's like a yes or a no. And then, as you know, clinical, it's a gray area and it's almost an art as much as a science. And when you have somebody who understands both those worlds, they become very valuable. And that's usually the reason if you have a pharmacist in before you even build this stuff, it's usually built a hundred times better, in my opinion, because you're thinking this is how the drug works. This is how they, this is how we dispense it. This is how it's given. And you're thinking of all those steps as you're building it. And if it, even afterwards, when an error occurs, you know, we're already thinking of like, okay, how do we solve this and make the drug effective and safe? So to me, it's just, it's just safe practice to have a pharmacist in those realms versus someone who has no clinical knowledge whatsoever or someone with no drug knowledge. Yeah, no, that I, I agree with that. Um, actually, that reminds me of very early on in my career when uh, I first started, I was on the implementation team for, you know, a health system that was uh, going from an, a very old 18-year-old Meditech system to like a brand new Cerner suite, you know. And um, the the order sentences, which are, you know, the SIGs and instructions for the medications were being built by non-clinical people, non-pharmacists. Was it a mess? Yeah. So, <laughs> so we, we built our, the stuff that we needed to do for pharmacy, but then the order sets were being built by non-pharmacists and yeah yeah yeah, it, yeah. we were not aware these were being done until they went live and we're like 
hey, we should have been on this. Then it was a big um, rework of the whole thing to make sure yeah, that... Yeah, how long did it take you to clean it up? Uh, it was like an ongoing process, maybe like for a whole year, I guess. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, that I mean, that just brings back that point of like having someone clinical, like, you know, a pharmacist being, uh, handling the medications just makes sense, right? For the safety yes. aspect. At least to you and me, it does. <laughs> Sometimes you still find people who are even institutions that haven't really figured that out, that if you have a pharmacist in the system and doing this stuff early on, it'll not only save you headaches, it'll actually save you money in the long run because things will be more likely to be built the way they need to be built. Yeah, and I think like that's something that needs to be emphasized in the very get-go is that, hey, this is going to save you money, and then <laughs> that will yeah. get them to, to think about it, right? So yeah. I've been in those conversations, though, where people are like, you're telling them this, and they're still just adamant that pharmacy's not coming in until closer to go live or even after go live. And I, I used to fight those battles a lot more. Um, I guess maybe I was more passionate in my younger years. Now I just kind of shake my head and said, okay, you'll see. And I have yet to be proven wrong. They usually do come back around and <laughs> regret it. <laughs> they be like, you know, okay, do it your way. And yeah. But that's just you live, you learn kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then you did mention, too, that you had the training in your residency, right, for the um, the ASHP? I did. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I did, uh, like I said, I did a first year. So they had determined around my third year pharmacy school uh, that it was going to be a PGY2, which makes perfect sense because if you don't have that clinical knowledge or have been in like a hospital farm, if you're practicing inpatient informatics and you haven't been like a resident basically, um, or worked as a pharmacist in an inpatient world, you're, it's, you're not going to be as effective as what you were. It's truly is like three to five years of experience. So I went into my first year in Texas. I was at, in Dallas at a major thousand bed hospital. I was trying to get as big as possible because I just wanted experience to everything. Cause I knew my trajectory. And then my second year, I uh, applied to the accredited program. So I applied to four of them and was lucky enough to get accepted to all four of them um, and had basically my pick. <laughs> and at the time, they were, of the four programs, three of them were very project management based, um, weren't as technical. And I was looking for a technical program because that's what I enjoyed. I, I like puzzles to me. I like finding a problem and fixing it, you know, in the IT world. And I still really liked like the programming type aspect of things and being able to create. So I went to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And got luckily um, one of one of his last years actually. Scott McCready was my uh, director, residency director, and he had actually changed the program for me. Before it was all inpatient hospital, but when I came in, it had changed. Um, they still do this, which is kind of it was a hybrid at the time. It'd be really great if they did, because um, and I know they did it the year after me as well. But so half of my time was spent in the hospital um, at the inpatient academic medical center, and the other half of my time was spent at his software company. So I got to do a lot of really crazy, great stuff. And I know they kept that for the guy who came after me. Uh, David Mulheron was the guy who came after me. And he was last I checked at Vanderbilt. Um, but I don't know if they kept it after that. But it was a really great program because I really learned a lot just being at a software company. And he's kind of, uh, Scott was awesome. And I'm still good friends with him, too. He he was crazy. So he started like in the nineties, he was just like, like me tinkering with the technology because I really liked it. And he wound up writing a whole program 
that the University of Michigan licensed, got it and licensed, and then he was able to use that and create a company. And now that that software is in hundreds of institutions nationwide in the USA. So um, it was just an amazing being able to be at that company um, when they were growing too. When we were there, he was moving to bigger offices and hiring more programmers and expanding, um, was starting to do Farm Academic, which is one of their products now. But it was a, basically, it was, it's called, at the time it was called WebIDS. It's been rebranded to called the Stego. And it was just, that was an amazing experience getting to see that side of it. Um, it wasn't a startup. He'd been there for five years and already had probably about 30 clients um, and kept adding more people and improving it. So it wasn't like I got to see a startup. It was like I got to see a very young company growing and expanding. It was really, it was just a really good experience for me. Um, kind of, yeah, I went in that trajectory of I want to be as technical as possible, um, but you don't have to. And I know there's a lot more programs now. If that's not where you are, if you'd like to be more of like a project manager based role and not be in the nitty gritty of, you know, setting up software or on the back end of that there are still lots of possibilities for you. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Scott McCready because I met him like a few years ago. Um, very down-to-earth guy. I met him at actually one of the He's conferences. Awesome. Yeah, and um, it's funny you mentioned Vestigo because I'm in the middle of like the implementation project oh. right now for us because we're, we're um, cool. yeah, where I'm at, we're, we're using that for our, um, our, our investigational. So uh, actually a lot of places around here, my colleagues also are at institutions that use their... Uh, software so it's it's pretty cool um yeah. really cool to see like you know like just hearing I, I spoke to him at ashp too like he uh he talked about how he started off at just uh where you know at unc and then slowly just broke off and then started the mccready group and it was yeah it was actually cool and surprising right now that you mentioned that you worked under him <laughs> as a mm -hmm. under as a resident so that that's really cool yeah, he, he moved away from that um, a few years afterwards. I know that two of us got to do that. Um, and he was the full-time residency director before I came, but it was in the inpatient world. But he was moving so that he was full-time at his company and wanted to be involved. And I had expressed an interest in that. So they kind of adapted the program for me, and which was really, really cool of Michigan. I had a great time in Michigan and can't say enough good things, but yeah, I would highly recommend if you haven't see if he'll do your podcast because very interesting story. I won't give too much away about like how he basically wrote this entire program at Michigan in his office with no programming experience and now owns a company that's multi-million dollar company and got products all over the, all over the nation. It's just, it's really impressive and he's a really great guy. And just going into like where you are today, uh, where do you practice uh, so listeners can uh, kind of know? And uh, what is your current role? Yeah, skip forward from residency about five, seven years. Um, so I am currently in Europe. <laughs> so um, we do consulting now. I have been doing consulting for the last four years. Um, most clients hire me to do Epic implementations or I've done quite a few integration projects because I'm very good with um, 
smart pumps integration with Epic. Uh, so I've been doing that. Um, but I've, I do all kinds of stuff, optimization, upgrades, implementation. So I'm currently working for a Belgian client in Brussels that uh, is implementing Epic. Um, as I mentioned, Epic's taking over the world. They're everywhere now. And um, so this is the first uh, French-speaking client in Europe. There's not any currently in France, and Bel- part of Belgium is French-speaking. So uh, they're and they're the first ones in Belgium to implement it. And we go live on November 22nd of this year. We were supposed to actually go live in June, um, but then with the COVID-19 hitting, um, everybody going into lockdown as of early, it was like end of February, March, when um, they put us into lockdown and said, you're working from home. And our only recently, they're opening up back up now, um, but travel is still very, very limited. And uh, you have to have like special permissions and paperwork with you should you be traveling to prove that you have a purpose um, and you're not just kind of being out there and you're not needing to, to be out there. And so they pushed the go live back to November. Um, and then wound up extending me. I was supposed to be with them until the end of September, and they wound up extending me to January with them. And then after that, I will be looking um, for some other clients in Europe. Uh, the goal is, as I mentioned, my uh, we're talking beforehand, my fiance is here. Um, he's German. And um, we moved the dog. I had a dog beforehand, um, and we moved him from the U.S. over here. So the goal is to stay here. Um there are some um, Switzerland clients, and there are really a lot of those taking off. And I had been learning German anyway, so uh, the goal is to see if I can get on with one of those clients moving forward um, until maybe other French-speaking clients come up. Because I speak French. I don't know if I mentioned that. <laughs> I should back up. I speak French fluently, <laughs> so uh, that helped me get the job. And then I've been learning German and um, actually interviewed with a, a German, a Switzerland client, and, but they were going to offer me six months and the Belgian company offered me uh, eight months and now it's going to be over a year with the extension. So I took the, the longer one because of more job security. Um, and that's the thing about consulting is like you'll um, you'll interview, but you don't necessarily take um, it's a kind of a negotiation type thing because you're like a contract worker. So you you can kind of decide like so when they offered me that, I was like, no, I'm going to take this one instead. So it's not like where you're in a full time position where you, you know, you're, you're stuck in one place kind of thing. You, you do have a little bit more choices as far as who you're going to work for. And the bonus of consulting, um, and I say this a lot, is that I don't get involved in the politics uh, like I used to, um, which is a relief for me because I had grown very tired (laughs) of the fighting that sometimes occurs um, in the politics, the work politics, so to speak. And I am out of that. So I'm pretty stress free most of the time (laughs) when it comes to my job which was a big benefit. Oh, yeah, that, that's something I, I actually haven't heard someone say as a consultant, which makes total sense. Because, yeah. m- I mean, many consultants start off working um, in the role, like at full time at some place, right? So then they move yeah. to consultant uh, for some freedom. I didn't think about the freedom meaning also freedom from the work politics, which makes total sense too. Yeah. Because I come in and do my job, and when my contract's over, I leave. So I get to come in and help and to give them advice and build things. But at the end of the day, 
you know, I leave, I'm not permanent. So that, and so I used to, so I did used to work full time. I did pay my dues, so to speak, um, back in the day. And I would get so worked up and stressed sometimes fighting battles that maybe didn't need to be fought, but I was very passionate about things and it was very stressful on me and it did really affected my work-life balance. And when I started consulting, that wasn't even what my thought process was. It was more, I was trying to do some other non-pharmacy things and still are, I am doing those non-pharmacy things. And I just, I wanted a job where I could use my skills and kind of do what I'm doing, but not be in that day-to-day grind and be so wrapped up in some of that stuff. And that was more for my own mental health because I would take things so hard sometimes and get so wrapped up in fighting the fight of this is the safest way to do it and people not listening. And I had a hard time letting go, especially if I thought it was something that was unsafe. And sometimes some of the higher ups would be like, no, this is the way we're going to do it. And that would sometimes eat away at me or keep me up at night, so to speak, because I'd be like, I didn't think it was safe. And I was told this is the way they were going to do it. And then you're kind of waiting for the shoe to drop. So to me, it's kind of perfect now. And don't get me wrong. If it's something that I think is unsafe, I will still fight those battles. I've done it many times. Usually the battles have to do with pediatrics, <laughs> which is one of the areas I was kind of one of my specialty areas in informatics. It's, I do a lot of peds. Um, because when I, I guess I'd explain that when I first started, um, when I came out of residency, I got a job out at Oregon Health and Science University, and they had a pediatric hospital and the adult hospital, but they had them under the same umbrella. And the guys on the team didn't really want to do the ped stuff. And I had done several rotations and had done a lot of training in peds. And even in my second year, I stacked in peds instead of adult by choice. And if I hadn't gone into informatics, I would have gone into peds. So I had that second love. And so I kind of took over all the peds immediately. And then throughout my career, I always seemed to be getting the peds handed to me. Um, Maybe it's because of an interest or because of a passion that I display for it. So if there's something unsafe like that, especially with that patient population, I will still speak up. Um, But staying out of some of the battles has really helped my work-life balance. And you have to have that or you get burnt out. And I had pretty much gotten burnt out um, after I left ASHP and stuff. I was just kind of like, I don't even want to do pharmacy anymore. And then it was like, okay, well, I need something to make a living and can still use my skills. But how do I do that without getting so wrapped up into things? And that's when I found this. And it was actually a really great fit because, like I said, I come in, I help them for six months to a year. Most of my clients usually wind up working for them a year. Actually, um, I've been lucky. I've gotten longer contracts and, you know, I help them and I feel like I'm benefiting their institution and then I can go on and help somebody else and lead them to fight the battles that still need to be fought. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's really good that you found um, a way that you can still excel at your skills without like being um, taken down from it, the environment, I guess. Um, yeah. So so that's really good that you were able to, to, to find something like that for yourself. Um, and then yeah. the other thing, too, is that you're no longer in the U.S. So I, I'm curious about mm-hmm. like how your practice has changed because, you know, <laughs> the practice in other countries for <laughs> pharmacy. Yeah, it's, it's very different. So. Like I guess learn your generics. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. Oh, when I when I traveled, I was always confused about what was going on because like all the medications are yeah. so different. 
Um, yeah, it's it's strange. Like, I mean, it's it's so. I mean, I speak French, but then it's strange when you like you learn Epic, for example, and you go in and everything in Epic's in French, and even simple stuff. Like, I had to ask the other day, like, what is Record Viewer in French? I can't find it. Like, like you can't even like you can't that you don't even process it. And then they tell you like, oh yeah, that's right, because like you have both worlds, and so it's also it's like and it's like I speak the language, but this is learning Epic speech. In, in another language <laughs> and it doesn't always align. And then on top of that, you've got all these drugs that have completely different brand names. Um, so if you're not strong in generics, you might have trouble. And the other thing is like your resources. Like I can't look something up in AHFS or Lexicomp or, or any of these things. Like I don't even, ha- I don't have access. So I always had access in the U S because of the institutions, but you know, these institutions don't have that. They have like Belgian equivalents. And it's, it's, it's confusing because they actually have like three different systems for the equivalent of what we would have in one. And practice is different too. Like, so the thing, one of the first things I learned when I got here is pharmacy doesn't make a lot of stuff. Like, and that really affects how you build stuff because you're like, wait a second, pharmacy's not making this and dispensing it. And the nurses are making a lot more stuff on the floor. So you're setting up like vial records and like fluid records, and you're not really doing a whole lot of mixtures. And then you make the mixtures, but you have to make them in a way that the nurse understands it because they're the ones that's going to be making the majority of the mixtures, which was really different for me. I was like, what? Like, we have IV rooms. We make this, we dispense it. Like, you know, it just, that kind of blew my mind when I first got here. I've gotten used to that. Um, there is, when I first got here, I also didn't think there was as much clinical practice. And that was more because I didn't see it. Um, it wasn't as visible, but it's there. Um, and I've gotten more into that. So with the current role, like I said, we're implementing Epic. So I've done quite a bit of med build, but then I've also have extensive order set research, as you were talking about before. So I've built all the order sets for this Belgian client. And so I've noticed as we started to validate those with pharmacy, there's a lot more clinical aspects than what I initially thought. So that was just kind of my understanding of it wasn't completely accurate or it just wasn't as visible because now I'm starting to work with the, the equivalent, the clinical pharmacist equivalents here um, as we go through these order sets. So it's there. Um, I would say I don't think it's as strong um, as what I saw in some of the U.S., but again, in the U.S., they've been fighting and screaming their way to be part of realms and some of these other things, and maybe they just haven't gotten there, or again, maybe I'm not aware of it. But it's there. Uh, so that was kind of the eye-opening things. There's differences in how workflows were and with dispensing, them not making as many products, and then not having like one system, at least that I have been able to access, that has as much information as some of our resources have. Um, we had really robust resources in the U.S. And then the clinical pharmacy not being as much, I guess, in your face of, in seeing it and knowing. And I know that there's some there. And, for example, the chemo pharmacist, they, they're they there. Um, that's pretty much a given anywhere you have to have them. Um, but I'm talking like the normal, you know, like internal medicine units and stuff where you have a big presence in the U.S. even in those general units. I haven't seen that much of a presence um, but again, I'm also outside of it a little bit. I mean, I've been to the hospital and seen their operations, but I'm also in the IT realm, which is segregated. 
which was something else that's changed over the years. Pharmacy used to be a lot more in the pharmacy and integrated into the hospital. And more and more, they've been removing informatics teams and IT teams, um, not only physically, but from from they're kind of on the outskirts now. Um, so it's it's kind of harder with modern times. <laughs> Ten years has gone by since I've been practicing. It's been it's been harder and harder to kind of know what's going on in the hospital, but. That's that's kind of the big differences I've seen. Like I said, the language and differences in drugs and workflows. So there's a lot of differences, but they're not so different that it's overwhelming and you can't learn. Um, it's not right. It's not wrong. It's just different. And there is enough similarities that you can kind of find your footing. But there are certain days, like I said, when I, I couldn't figure out where's the record viewer. And I, I just could not for the life of me think of how Epic called that because they're translating their entire system into a different language. And what you think it should be called based on the language, not necessarily what it would be called. <laughs> and so we've actually had several of what they call Sherlock tickets in Epic about the translation and things not making sense with the way it was translated like even just order stuff, like if you say it's going to start an order from this point to this point, it actually writes in the way they have it translated is that the order is going to leave or end at the starting point. I was like, like this doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, th- that's kind of one of the challenges that I've found. Sorry, I'm trying not to go on and on and on too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, it's really good to hear, like, some of these challenges. Um, I, I mean, I don't know how many people in the U.S. will want to go outside and practice somewhere else. Um, it is like something that I'm seeing of a handful of people think about just because of the, you know, the market in the U S. Um, mm-hmm. so it's nice to hear like some of these challenges that, uh, you face from going somewhere outside mm-hmm. the U S. So going back in the general sense for anyone who's just interested in getting into informatics, like maybe a student mm-hmm. or maybe, uh, someone who's a pharmacist, but they're not in that realm yet. Um, do you have any like particular advice for them? Um, think outside of the box, <laughs> so to speak. I, cause that's always what has kind of guided me. Like I didn't, I, I didn't go into, for I didn't, it barely existed when I started 10 years ago and it's blown up until what it is now. Um, but I didn't think I would do that. And I, like I said, I never thought I was going to use those skills. And then I kind of fell into it. And thought this is a good way to use those skills. And it's the same thing. So if you're wondering why I speak French, for example, uh, I was an exchange student in Belgium when I was um, in high school. And I came back and wound up getting a degree in French and chemistry. I had two degrees, undergraduate degrees. And I just was taking the French so that I wouldn't lose it and because I wanted to hear it. Because, um, you know, I wasn't in a host family. I wasn't in that envi- working environment anymore because um, I was actually an intern instead of going to school. I'd already finished high school. So they put me in an internship at a circus. No joke. I can't make that up. I'm not that good. Um, so I worked for a Belgian circus. And so when I came back, I wanted to keep hearing the French and I wound up having enough credits to get a bachelor's degree in it. And again, I never thought I was going to use it. And then it comes up in this opportunity and not only puts me back in Brussels, but I get to use my French. 
And um, I get to do things I love with a language. And that's not to say that you have to speak another language to do some of these. Um, Some of them do. Like for this particular client, you had to be a certain level of French in order to get the job or even to get an interview. Um, And they test and the same with the German. They test the French and the German on the interview um, with native speakers to make sure you're going to be okay. And but there are, I don't, kind of my point is there are, England has got some stuff, Ireland has got some epic stuff going on, informatic stuff going on. So if you're not a big fan of languages and don't want to do that, there are still opportunities. Like I said, Australia's got epic. There are other opportunities where they speak English if that's not something that interests you. But if you are interested in languages and don't think you're going to ever use it, you know, it's like you can think outside of the box and do that. So that would be kind of my advice is, if you have an area that you like and or a hobby that you like, don't think you can't utilize it somehow or make it into something that you can tailor into your career and kind of find your niche. Um, otherwise, with informatics, is it's I always tell people this. If you don't have technical skills, that doesn't mean you can't do this job. Like It's kind of like I always said, if you liked puzzles and putting puzzles together and trying to figure out like what went wrong and how can I fix it? then it might be a good career for you because, I mean, it's not necessarily all technical. That's what I'm saying is like, if you're not heavily technical and you don't like necessarily do programming, and I told people this over the years, that doesn't mean that it's not the career for you. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just something that I happen to like, and that was something I sought out. And there are other options. Um, I know people who did not like that kind of stuff and who work in informatics and are doing absolutely fine and they're finding their own niche. So it just kind of depends. Like, and the things you think you won't use, somehow you always end up using them. Like, you just, it's kind of how it is. Like, I, I always like le- learning languages and stuff, and now I get to use it every day. That would be my advice is just think outside of the box and don't think that you don't have the skills necessary to do something just because it's not what other people did or the path they took. Awesome. Awesome. So, so Mm -hmm. if people had any uh, further questions for you, what's the best way that they can reach out to you? Oh goodness. Uh, Email uh, would probably be the best. Um, Or like, like, um, contacting me if you're not on my LinkedIn, which I know me and you are connected on LinkedIn. Um, They can find me on LinkedIn. That's a good way. Um, But yeah, email is usually the best. Um, Yeah. I mean, I still have my USA phone, but I don't have data. <laughs> so it's basically linked to Wi-Fi. So calling me would not be the best. And I have a prepaid phone for the other. I have not switched over my plans. I need to do that at some point. There's still a lot of like these little things that people don't think about when moving like to another continent or another country of little things you have to do. Um, but yeah, I would say email because I can, <laughs> I can get to that the easiest and if, if they want to connect and, you know, for your phone call or something like that, we can do that. We can set that up. Okay, cool. So I'll be putting a link to uh, your LinkedIn and uh, also your email yeah. into our, yeah. our show notes. And um, yeah, of course. yeah, but, you know, to be respectful of your time, I'd like to thank you again so much for taking some time mm-hmm. out of your busy day to be on the show. Anytime. Happy to help. All 
right. If you like our show, please share with your friends, or you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcasting services. You can also check us out on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn, and you can also reach out to me at Tony at PharmacyITME.com. If you want to network, you can check out the Pharmacist Slack group at PharmacistConnect.com, which is P-H-A-R-M-A-C-I-S-T-S-C-O-N-N-E-C-T.com. There's different topic channels, including informatics, and I've met some great colleagues on there, and I look forward to connecting with you as well. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. And remember, technology is a tool, patient care is the goal. Oh, 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 oh,